Thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good evening, edu folk. It is Monday, the 6th of November. This is the Twilight Show. Bit of a change for me to be uh, behind the scenes for this one, but it's quite nice, actually. Um, This evening, we are talking about... Oh, I can see James is already there and ready to go. We are talking about data. And I can see, James, you've even beaten Tom Rogers to it. So uh, we are ready and raring to go. How are you this evening, James? I'm doing very well, thank you. First day back after half term. So a bit of a shock to the system, I would say. But how are you? Yeah, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Thank you. Just waiting to get everybody in and raring to go. I'm very excited. I've just actually come out of a staff meeting about data, and I think this will be a lot more exciting than what <laughs> I just sat through. I hope my head teacher is not listening, but um, I'm sure we're, we've got a lot to get through. I can see the delightful Mr. Tom Rogers is there. How are you, sir? Very good, thank you. I uh, hope everyone's well, having a good week um, so far, even though we're only a day into it. Um, I hope everyone's... Um... Oh, cheer up. <laughs> um yeah i'm looking forward to the the conversation um, i'm going to bring Catherine in as well um and i think our two guests are actually here which is fantastic on our on our guest accounts um Lovely. james i don't know whether you want to sort of introduce first what we're going to be talking about tonight thanks tom and thank you to everyone who has joined us or has downloaded this podcast um so this is Teachers Talk Radio, and tonight we've got a really big topic that we're going to delve into, and it's going to be how can data and analytic tools be effectively integrated into education institutions to support educators? Now, it's a typically big question, and as teachers, what we have done is we're going to break that down. Now, we've got two really important guests um, who are going to come in from Instructor and also Canva, and I know Catherine, who's in the background, who's going to be talking um, she has used this platform as well. So I'm very excited to go into this. Um, I'm not going to do the introduction of what Instructor is in Canva. I'm going to let our guests come and do that in a minute. So is then, Tom, is Siddharth and Daniel there on our guest account? Welcome this evening, if you can hear us. Hopefully they can press. There we go. Thanks so much for having us. Happy to be here. I think you can hear me okay as well. Pleasure to be here also. Brilliant. Exciting. So let's get started. Can you two first of all, um, let's start with you, Daniel. Can you just explain what Instructor is and what Canva is to everyone and then what your both of your roles are within that just to get us started this evening? Yeah, absolutely. It would be uh, it would be my pleasure. So uh, my name is Daniel Hill. I am the managing director for Europe, Middle East, and Africa at Instructure. Um, we are a education technology company that's probably best known for our VLE or Learning Management System Canvas uh, that's used uh, globally. It's by far the the largest utilized learning management system around the world. Um, and Sid and I have the, the great pleasure and honor of leading this business here in, in Europe and working with educational institutions to really further the way that they deliver teaching and learning to all learners, uh, regardless of, of where they are in their, their learning pathway. Um, Sid, I'm not sure if you want to talk a little bit about your role and, and perhaps elaborate a little bit more on the kind of work that we get up to. 
Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Siddhartha Oberoi. I'm our Vice President of International Strategy here at Instructure. Been with the company for about seven years and lived in London for the last five of those. Um, my remit is really focused on understanding educational trends that exist across the globe and how we as a company and business are oriented to respond to them. As Dan kind of alluded to, we have a, a massive influence on the world of education um, by and being able to influence it through technology to kind of help propel uh, a lot of new adoptions and of technology inside of the classroom, right? And we've seen a lot of that transition over the last few years in response to the pandemic, where the utilization of a learning management system or a VLE in the classroom is becoming paramount to the success for facilitating synchronous and asynchronous learning among a myriad of other things, but kind of paves the way to the conversation today around data and analytics and how we have seen some of those things materialize in the past few years. Excellent. Thank you both. Just to be really interesting for our audience, um, just to go into what you mean by a VLE and an LMS. And I know pre-COVID, there was a whole range of different resources and different things out there. And this idea that you were talking about asynchronous and synchronous and the DfE have now just awarded the first online school accreditation as well, it's a really interesting time to be in. So if you could just dive into that and then we're going to go back into this idea of data within schools. Yeah, maybe I can touch on that and then Sid, I'm sure, can, can fill in the blanks. I think um, the virtual learning environment or the learning management system and the reason we, I guess, flip-flop between those terms is it uh, it generally depends on whereabouts in the world you are in terms of what it is referred to. But think of it as the the digital classroom, so to speak. Uh, and, and really, I think an effective VLE or learning management system is a, a platform that allows you to both deliver exceptional teaching and learning experience to your learners, um, as well as provide a tremendous, a tremendous amount of support um, from an administration perspective uh, and also an analysis perspective, which I'm sure we'll we'll get into in, in terms of the discussion. Um, across the the length and breadth of the you know millions of users and, and thousands of institutions and and schools that we work with we really do see the learning management system deployed in a variety of of different ways and and for a variety of, of different outcomes but I think probably the best use of that technology is is one where you know at a, at a core level it's making the student feel at all times connected to their learning it's making them feel empowered in terms of the the knowledge that they are acquiring throughout their journey um, as well as giving you know educators a really a great touch point to their their student body and, and giving them an ability to, to understand where perhaps they need uh, some additional support. Yeah, just to add on, I think I think realistically, what we hope and envision a, an LMS or a VLE to be able to do is engage learners in a different capacity. Right, um, kind of going back to that synchronous and asynchronous ability. VLEs have been around for, for decades and traditionally had been utilized as file repository systems. But as we've seen institutions, schools, universities and the like kind of embrace the technology, they've realized that there is a versatility of things that they can accomplish through the utilization of that technology, whether that's facilitating classroom dis discussions on a myriad of subject matters, to working on group assignments, to peer reviewing their, their peers' feedback and helping facilitate collaborative learning inside of a virtual space. 
we're really seeing the extension of that technology have a different impact on the way that, that learners are able to, to go about their day-to-day lives. Brilliant. Thank you both. And I think embracing that technology, that versatility, um, and going beyond that file storage is something we're going to go into with data in particular, which is going to be the focus of our conversation. And I know with technology, with the use of it comes with data. And the amount of data we capture is rich. And in schools, whether it's pupils' age, gender, the categories we often put children in and PP disadvantage, their progress or attainment, or how they've done on a summative assessment or a quiz, or whether they've actually watched a video that you have given them. So so we can gather a shared de- definition. Sid, what would you say data is? You know, Data is is vast inside of any sort of environment, right? And the way that we categorize and capture data is kind of related to interactions that happen inside of of the space, right? Um, I think data is very, very interesting and uh, controversial topic uh, when we when we think about education writ large. Um, our our commitment and our communication around data is is making sure that we keep those things secure because it can extend to personal information and you know the the thing the, the essence of the learner at the end of the day. But we try to approach it in, in an anonymized fashion. But in in our in our system there are thousands and of, of interactions that can take place from logging into the system to the the initial clicks that they take to navigate the environment and being able to capture the engagement of that data is is what actually matters right um and i think historically there's there's always this notion of you know there there needs to be a utilization of data but often it's just for the sake of data rather than making it actionable so our our definition is is simply simply capturing the environment and the interactions that exist inside of the platform. That's a really nice, um, concise definition there in terms of that capturing in that essence. But how do we know then, Daniel, that we're capturing the right kind of data? I think as Sid alluded to, we can gather a lot of data. And if you think about smart technologies or even um, automotive, if you think about cars nowadays, how much data they're gathering in terms of that, is there a thing of too much data? And how do we know what kind of data we should be capturing then? Yeah, I think um, it's it's a really important question and, and you know, honestly is, is often overlooked. And I think regardless of, of what anyone wants to try and achieve with, with data and analytics, um, like any great project, you need to be really clear about what is it you are trying to achieve uh, through the use of, of data and, and analytics. I'm sure all of us in, in education have been, you know, given plenty of bar charts and graphs uh, enough to last us a lifetime. Um, but really what data and analysis should allow you to do is, is get, get insights on a problem and allow you to hopefully find, you know, at least a pathway to a solution that little bit quicker. And so, you know, I think some of the, the very basic steps that, sh- that should be taken in any kind of data and, and analytics project should be very first about being clear about your intentions and objectives. Why are you trying to engage in this project? What are you hoping to achieve? Can it be measured? You know, these are all the things that are going to be critical in any successful project. Um, And then I think also on top of that, 
it's sensible to be small in terms of the way you start and, and try to gradually scale over time. Um, I think that will, will ultimately help you to be a bit more rational in, in how you choose the appropriate data sets before you, you start that journey. Yeah, and I whenever I do these uh, interviews and podcasts, I always like write copious notes to myself just to stand back and think about those bits. Now, because of where you are with a company and you have millions of points of data and everything else beyond those traditional metrics of what i was saying about schools in terms of age gender and categories we often put them in and that measurable element of progress as well and attainment and you were talking about um, the interactivity of our people watching videos how long they are are there any, beyond those traditional metrics, what are some of the emerging or non-traditional data points you think actually schools should consider gathering? Because you're coming from it in a completely different perspective running a company like you are compared to what a school may do in that regard. And one of the examples, to put it into context, is, for example, on YouTube, Mr. Beast, one of the biggest uh, YouTube stars out there, he says the first five seconds are the most important. And so he gathers data on different um, different starts and different thumbnails. And so that will have a measured impact on his viewing. Or Steve Bartlett on his show, he will be in the background doing 90 different tests of um, like the key points from his podcast, see which bites as well. So are there any emerging or non-traditional data points you think actually schools should consider gathering? I'll start with you, Sid, and then Daniel, you can... I didn't think I was in. Yeah, I mean, for, for us, it's really around the engagement data that's the most important and critical, right? And I think a lot of institutions and schools will define this in different ways. It can be time spent utilizing the, the, the technology itself, um, the amount of engagement that they're, they're doing as it pertains to submission of assignments, the engagement in discussions inside of their course, simply accessing the course, how often they're logging in, right? These kind of are these are predictive indicators for a base level of understanding for how the learners are going to engage inside of that environment, right? It establishes a baseline amongst all the learners of identifying trends and performance. So if we're able to kind of define some of those metrics of, okay, this student uh, has a greater aptitude for uh succeeding inside of the classroom and are able to pinpoint what those variables are, you can start to create some interesting predictive algorithms around that, right? But every every institution is going to have their, their own approach around that, but it does kind of revolve around what your understanding is. And, and to Dan's earlier point, it's really setting that baseline of what are going to be the most meaningful elements to capture inside of the environment, because that will kind of feed your, your system moving forward. And honestly, you can you can kind of de-identify and, and anonymize some of these characteristics to help set your baseline, right? Um, I think that's kind of critical. You alluded to some of the social demographic data that you could ultimately capture, but I think it's increasingly necessary to, to remove some of those elements when you're creating the baseline for those algorithms to better understand uh how that course is designed. What are the triggers inside of the course that you could modify as an instructor or as a, a an administrator in order to make it more compelling and to her to further um, create success inside of the classroom? 
Hi, Sid. It's Catherine here. I wonder if I can just follow up on something you've said, if that's okay, because uh, I, uh, full disclosure, I was a Instructor Educator of the Year 2021. Oh, congratulations. And, uh, thank you, uh, which which I was really pleased and excited and honoured by, because um, essentially what I did during the pandemic, um, I made, try not to sound like a crazy person, I made 160 videos for my staff in my school about how to use various Canvas functions. And uh, obviously, that, that was the recognition for that. But I, what I really like... I think um, they're going to give you a job in a minute, Catherine, live on air. <laughs> Which, yeah, just hang on at the end, Catherine, if you don't mind. Just, just, uh, just send your LinkedIn profile, yeah? Just put, <laughs> ping a little link there to LinkedIn. It's fine. Oh, but what, what I really liked about um, Canvas um, was the outcome function. And the reason I like that, and I'll just explain what that is for listeners. Basically, you set like a rubric of competencies. Um, for example, it could be key vocabulary usage or analytical language or um, evaluation or something like that. So what I did is I set my rubrics up for my class's assignments based on outcomes because they, they collect metadata. And so what you'll get is when you've done your um, your assessment, you've given it a score and the students received a score via the rubric by clicking on the competencies that they've demonstrated. But in the background, it's also collecting all this metadata. So you're kind of getting a rag rating of each of your students according to their increasing competency against the outcomes that you've you've defined and I used to find this absolutely invaluable because I teach religious studies and I um, as you can imagine when you work in a large secondary school that's a lot of kids a lot of key stage three and then you know so you've taught kids for maybe one or two terms and you've got to write them report and you know some of them honestly you struggle to pick them out of a lineup and so having that function of that metadata in the background meant that I always felt that my reports could be really personalized and accurate because I could just look down and say okay so their target they're actually getting um you know 15 out of 20 but they're losing marks on vocabulary or they're getting 15 out of 20 but they're losing marks on evaluation so I could tell the difference between the the quality of a particular um 15 marks based on this data that's constantly being gathered in the background. And I found that such a powerful tool that enabled me to personalise my feedback to the students, to understand them better. Um, and it didn't actually cost me anything more in time because I would have marked that work anyway. And so I think that's kind of the power of it. You can set things up in such a way that give you the opportunity to collect so much more that then you can actually do something with which you would not have necessarily got if you'd marked the work in a more traditional way um so i just thought i'd throw that in there no i, I love that catherine and and firstly love the passion for educators like you that are diving in and utilizing the system in such creative ways i mean 
big a testament to you creating 160 videos, <laughs> but uh, I think I think you're spot on, right? I think the reality of it is utilizing things like outcomes or approaching things through the lens of competency-based education, extend the value that you're able to deliver because you can start to understand where the learners are falling down in their comprehension of, of that outcome or skill or competency at the end of the day, right? Because you're able to align that competency to the different learning resources that you were teaching through. So you can say, hey, they understand these sub skills. Let's use geometry as a meta meta skill or a meta competency, but they don't necessarily understand circumference, but they do understand Pythagorean theorem. What are the resources available that you can start to intervene inside of that learner's uh, potential, right? And I think that's kind of the critical crux of the story for, for why data and analytics are really important inside of teaching and learning is that intervening step, right? How can you create new value to deliver to those learners? And through this layer of aligning things through outcomes, you can start to see a very clear paradigm where intervention becomes critical from the instructor's point of view, either for directly one child, but you know, you take a step back and you can look at performance across your classroom on that specific competency. And maybe there was a shortcoming inside of the course design that necessitates additional videos to be created or additional resources to be provided to help ensure that that outcome is fully realized by the learner or the class writ large. Yeah, and I think one other thing just to, to sort of tap on top of, of some of the things that I've been saying, and again, yeah, just a, a huge congratulations, Catherine, to, to that work that you've done. That's, that's really inspiring. All right, um, all right. <laughs> don't, leave, don't leave the people who haven't made any videos out. All it's right. only 161 videos, Tom. It's not that hard. Um, and my, my husband used to say, don't tell people how many. They'll think you're crazy. Well, I've made like 163 and a half. So <laughs> enough now. Um, I think the other interesting aspect that we're going to see is really in and around the the mental health and, and well-being aspect and, and the way that we can start to use some of the traditional engagement metrics that Sid mentioned earlier as a, you know, a predictor to those outcomes. We um, we had our uh, one of our customer events uh, last week where we launched our state of this was a higher education focused uh, research and report. And we found that less than 50 percent of uh, users of LMSs globally, this isn't just customers, um, connected students to in-person or virtual counselling. So it's 47%. So that's good. You know, that's nearly one in two that are being connected to those services. But I think it speaks to some of the work that can be done. And again, going back to my original point about what a what an LMS is or what a VLE is. And, you know, for us, that's that's really some of the sometimes untalked about parts of a successful platform, you, right? It's, sorry, yeah. from my perspective, can you expand on that a little? bit because i am interested in that bit about yeah. mental health because I, I didn't really understand that so this is this is data that's collected that then allows you slash the school to then direct the students towards mental health services is that Am I picking yeah. up the wrong thing there? Is that no? Absolutely no. That's it. So again, as a as a, a, an example of some of the, the the data and the engagement metrics that that Sid had mentioned earlier on, what we can start to do is is capture some of the behaviours 
um, that a student body or just users at large are uh, are engaging in um, and start to identify outcomes as a result of that, right? So perhaps we want to, you know, partition a group of users who perhaps haven't maybe engaged in a discussion in the past 30 days or, you know, have not logged into this course for a period of time. And off the back of that particular metric, that bit of data, we can recommend resources to those individuals through on-screen prompts or, or otherwise. And so, you know, for me, that's a really important part of how we continue to evolve off, you know, the the challenges that we've had over the past three or four years um, is is making sure that the data is not only being used for for great teaching and learning outcomes, but addressing, you know, those those mental health aspects as well. Yeah, and I think what Dan is speaking to kind of indicates like behavioral trends, right? That that may be outside of the norms of the data that's collected inside of the VLE. But say you do have a learner that has been super engaged throughout the duration of the course, but during the last two weeks of the term, there's a steady drop off. Is there something that's happening inside of that learner's life? How can that intervention actually be inserted or injected in order to provide a resource for that learner? I think that's so fascinating in terms of that that kind of um, holistic view of the student. And I think there are there are so many things that you can sort of point towards when when you do see like an, a you know a change in the characteristics of her, their engagement and things like that. One of the things I, I thought was really interesting is um, sort of the nudge theory aspect of it because. One of the things that I, I always found very helpful was on the grade book where you can actually send a, an email to to students which um, are categorized by um, scored above, if it's say 10 out of 10, scored above eight, scored below three, hasn't done it yet uh, or whatever. And so you can actually target your feedback quite quickly to groups of students either to say well done or congratulations and things like that and actually if you if you sort of go in there and do that with a couple of days ahead of the due dead of the deadline I did find that students do respond to that little nudge and it's not you don't wait until somebody's missed a deadline you can actually intervene um, before and just help people to stay on track um, how how do you kind of do you consciously put nudge theory into your systems and and how what's the thinking behind behind all of that yeah i'm i'm loving the passion to bring to this catherine i, I think you're referring to the message students who functionality right um and that yeah, exists yeah, inside yeah. of yeah it, it exists inside of the grade book as well as inside of the analytics dashboard and i think that's critical to the way that we think about the world as it pertains to analytics and data right i, I mentioned this at the top but Oftentimes, there's this necessity driven by administrators and, and facilitators of education to say, we must capture the data, we must capture the data, we must capture the data, but then there's nothing to do with that, right? So our approach has always been, it must be actionable. It, there must be something that you can do with it at the end of the day to help propel success, propel intervention. And we've been adding this through anytime that we bring analytics or, or data to the surface, we bring that in with, with a layer of action, right? Whether that's at the course level where an instructor is able to intervene and say, 
you students have not accessed this mandatory resource that must be accessed before the end of week one, please go view this mandatory reading or mandatory video, or whether it's at the account level, right? Earlier this year, we launched what are called uh, account level analytics, which enable an account administrator to look at all the courses inside of their account and identify whether or not uh, faculty or administrators or sorry, teachers or instructors have inserted a rubric, for instance, or inserted uh, a discussion inside of the course, right? Just to look at whether or not the courses are set up in a way that are going to help the students succeed or not. So I think implementing what you're calling nudge theory is, is critical to ensure that action happens, right? Educators should have these tools at their disposal to be able to utilize them in a more meaningful way because then they can deliver a more enriching teaching and learning experience to those learners. Brilliant. I think there's some really interesting ideas that have been picked out of there, and especially this idea of capturing this data and making it purposeful. Because as we said at the beginning, you can capture so much data and nothing is done with it. And Tom and I have discussed this previously. Like You can ask teachers to gather data. It can be onerous. It can take time. But actually, what we should be doing is actionable data. What can we do with the results of this and those bits? So I want to go back a little bit. There was something, um, I think it was you said earlier, you said about anomalizing data. And is that because if you anomalize data, then you reduce the idea of human bias and you are able then to find overall trends and patterns without actually saying, oh, there's that child, he won't be able to achieve or he won't be able to do that and have that element as well. What are your considerations with that? Uh, fully. It is It is fully to ensure that you're removing bias inside of the classroom and removing any sort of academic or grading misconduct that can occur, right? When we look at the, the notion of um, when we're providing marks or grading different exams or assessments, it's necessary that the markers or the lecturers are able to just simply look at the body of work, not associate with a problem child or a problem student, and simply let the work speak for itself, right? I think if you have exposure to names or socio-demographic information, it can lead to unconscious bias inside of that marking process, right? And you don't want the student's prior submissions to influence the outcome of their final submission. So I think it's necessary to remove some of that information when you're looking at overall trends, um, to look at the way that you kind of structure your courses and the way that you may intervene um, inside of the classroom or intervene with students. So there, there are different approaches to this, but when you're aggregating the data writ large inside of a course or an account, um, I think it is necessary to, to let the work and the data speak for itself rather than inserting a narrative that could lead you down a, a, an inappropriate or inconclusive path. And I think it's that idea of getting the data to say what it's actually showing rather than having that preconceived idea with it in, as well. And when we were talking about this predictive nature, um, it's if you go and see football players or you go and see, um, I think it was rugby, where they have the little GPS function at the back, what they're doing there is analysing the data that's coming out of that player and they are predicting when they're going to have an injury or they're not 
performing at peak and it's that comparative which is really important and i think what is fantastic about the platform you're providing is that all the data is in one place we talk about we keep talking about data and being purposeful and you've alluded a little bit to the different ways of presenting that so how do you then present some of that data and how do you choose which data to present and how it looks in some ways so we don't overwhelm and we make sure it is then actionable data you know a lot of our product decisions are guided by direct interaction with our end users right whether that's faculty and staff or students directly we really want to identify what do they need what are the types of decisions that they're looking to make Right. Um, and through those conversations and through our discovery and design processes, we're able to arrive at some of those conclusions of, hey, we want to identify attendance behaviors. We want to identify assignment completion or class participation or just whether or not they're simply viewing the videos or readings that are facilitated inside of the course. So it's really a meticulous process of understanding, hey, we're going to make some hypotheses. We're going to go test it with our users and you know as a byproduct of that we then have data that we can act on right saying x number of educators believe that we need to incorporate xyz data and these other uh, educators and facilitators think that we need x prime y prime and z prime data so inserting that we can then create a mechanism of some baseline analytics and reporting that we think are necessary put those into the hands of educators that they can then involve themselves inside of the intervening process, right? But beyond that, we we also just give institutions access to all of the data that exists, right? All the interactions, and they can start to make their own uh, interpolations of how that data is being utilized and what they want to do with it. It's really interesting. And um, yeah, I'm just going to ask a question because I... My experience of being the person in a school that's actually been the, the canvas champion and, um, you know, the, it, it's which I, I was absolutely brilliant. But I've met a lot of teachers in my life who would call themselves technophobes. And uh, I'm reminded of a cartoon where there's like two people there and one person's like digging a hole um, and uh, someone comes along and says, would you like the shovel to help dig your hole? And the other person says, no, thank you. I've got this teaspoon. And uh, it just sort of reminds me of how do we engage the teachers to feel confident to use such a powerful tool when actually they are nervous of the technology and uh, I wonder when you work with schools how do you um, how do you go about helping them feel confident and unafraid of, of engaging with quite a scientific instrument yeah I think um, you know one of the the things that we we really focus on with with all of the projects that we're involved in is there's a, a certain degree of I guess, data literacy that we we try and impart on the people that, that are partnering with us. And uh, again, we're, we're very deliberate about that idea of, you know, understanding the the challenges or the, you know, the the, the issues that that may be causing this this data analysis project to, to start, right? And, you know, I think one of the the regular things that's coming up at the moment is around, you know, there's some, some funding challenges in a variety of different educational environments. And so what that allows us to do, even, for example, in a, a further education environment is allow those institutions to ensure that those those students that on which they're they're, they're learning 
moments their funding is reliable uh, relied upon um, we're able to ensure that those learners stay engaged throughout that process so we're we're, we're really deliberate in you know taking a, uh, a a very measured approach to the way that we introduce these projects and again it's about starting in a in a small manner and being very deliberate about the outcomes that you want to achieve um, and kind of having those small moments of success that will build up that confidence over time. Um, and, you know, Sid's mentioned a, a great example of that message students who feature. And again, Catherine, you've probably you've, you've mentioned you're familiar with that. That's a really great way that, you know, a, an educator, a teacher can go away and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm using some really great analytics here to improve my pedagogy. Um, and if I can do that, why can't I do something else? Why can't I look at the engagement data? Why can't I, you know, even get to a point where I propose some some more sophisticated data sets? Have you got some examples um, of teachers who have reached out with you? and said, actually, this data has transformed my teaching. So you've used a phrase there about pedagogy, and I think pedagogy has to be at the heart of what we do. So, for example, it could be engagement, and you said, actually, they've presented something differently, or they've presented it front-loaded or other elements as well. But have you got some stories there to, a bit more um, concrete to share with our listeners in terms of what teachers have brought to you and actually it's made you sat back and like oh okay that's a really interesting way that teachers taken it and looked at what we've given them yeah absolutely so i i think a, a good example is you know with uh you know our partners we work very closely and we provide a lot of the analysis to our contacts around how are your student body engaging with our tools so we obviously have a a desktop client that's probably used for you know those uh, those students that are maybe at a, a secondary school level but we also have a a world leading uh, smartphone application as well that can be used and, and some of the data that we often provide to institutions very early on in their kind of adoption of our technology is is giving them a, a regular breakdown of how often students are accessing their learning material um, either via a laptop device or a smartphone device and I'm sure you know all of us would not be surprised to hear that by and large uh, most students are opting to use the mobile device first they are a you know they are the digital natives I believe that's the term we're supposed to use um, and so as a result what that institution took away from that is well if a learner is going to engage with this learning content via a mobile phone I need to really think about those ways in which I'm talking to that student I can't have reams of text or I can't have you know lots of lists of items because that's going to get you know, it's going to be a negative experience for that student. And so we were able to work with that institution on how do they embrace video content? How do they embrace conditional releasing of content based on, you know, maybe some summative or uh, formative assessment processes that they're, they're undergoing? And so, you know, that's just a small way in which, again, a, a small set of data, which is how many students are accessing the app uh, versus the laptop, um, is able to actually inform a, a pedagogical decision. I think I think another excellent example of that 
Daniel, is, is the, the utilization of one of our video engagement tools called Canvas Studio. Uh, Canvas Studio is able to provide data and analytics around when and how students are watching the video lectures that are presented inside of the classroom. So you can actually understand when students are, are dropping off. Uh, as Daniel's alluded to with this digital digitally native uh, generation that we're engaging with, we've also noted trends associated with declining attention spans, right? So when a lecturer or an instructor is uploading a video or a lecture that is 45 minutes, we can clearly see the drop off of those learners not necessarily engaging with that material for that entire 45 or one hour lecture, right? Um, and I've spoken with a number of educators that have said it's been remarkable and transformed my understanding of how I upload content into to uh, the virtual learning environment and how I need to break apart that 45 minute video into five minute chunks and segments, right? And cover it topic by topic. So you can see how that starts to transform the pedagogical undertaking from an instructor or a lecturer of how they're delivering that content uh, to ensure the students are actively engaged with it and moving on in a piecemeal fashion rather than trying to drop this 45 to 60 minute lecture on them. And just to tie up that that point, I think that's another important part for us is, you know, that can be a, a disappointing moment for an educator. They think, oh, wow, you know, my students aren't listening to that 42 minute video that I put together. That's disappointing. Um, you know, it's it, it's that moment of realization when we say the content is great, but, you know, we are all creatures of of habit. And, you know, certainly those digital natives to Sid's point are those attention spans are dropping. And it's we believe our job to help coach you know and, and champion those those educators into the ways that they can maybe perhaps break that video up into into smaller chunks for a you know a, a better student experience so from your experience then and to give our listeners a little bit of concrete um idea about how you'd use canva in terms of that um so you you have the video element of it and Catherine, feel free to butt in on this bit because I know you've used it extensively in the classroom and only made 160 videos not many really um <laughs> sorry I had to get it again <laughs> but um how what have you seen to make effective lesson delivery or activities or sequences or courses delivery online in the digital realm I mean, I, I always used to, I mean, this is going back to when we first started to have the online um, learning. Um, I always try to give my instructions for the task in maybe two or three ways, one of which would be written instructions, one of which might be some kind of infographic, and one of which would be a video of me saying what I wanted them to do. And I, I felt that it's really important to have a relationship with your students um, in a digital fashion. So there are functions where you can record a little two minute video or whatever. Uh, you can record them of any length, but uh, you can just do a piece to camera, which is good morning, year eight. Today we're going to be learning about Good Samaritan or whatever it was. And they would see your happy, smiling face and they know this is my teacher and they can, you know, they can watch it whenever they like, but it's there, um, you're, like you're greeting them at the door. And so I used to like to try and do that. Um, but equally, 
so you know they can read it but they can also like see your face and hear your voice and so on but equally when you're giving feedback there's the function to be able to actually give that feedback via a voice note or um again a little face to face so i found that really really good function because i think when you're dealing with student learners in a digital space it can become a bit impersonal and i do think it's important for them to know know who you are who they're talking to where it's all going uh, and to have some kind of feedback because i feel sometimes students feel that their work especially if it's ungraded work might just be going into the void and it's good to have somebody at the other end going good job really really enjoyed that well done have you thought about this and and the fact that you can do that via a little video um i felt was a really powerful feature because it it, it personalizes that relationship but it doesn't doesn't force it to be um sort of in real time it doesn't force it to be synchronous it can all be done asynchronously as well while retaining that that personal touch um so yeah that's that's what i think about that I think you're spot on, Catherine. I, I think providing feedback really does enable that engagement. But I would say some some three disciplines that that I like to uh, encourage ed- educators to do is is one setting expectations at the beginning of the course of how that's going to be structured, right? And as Catherine kind of alluded to, multiple multimedia engagement is a great way to get those learners enabled. Number two is enabling collaboration inside of the course, right? Enabling them to interact with their peers, enabling real discussions to occur inside of the classroom or or in an online environment, right? Whether that's setting up group breakout sessions or group projects or or group discussions where they're actually analyzing the material uh, that they're set up to accomplish inside of the course. And then lastly is, is yes, that multimodality of providing feedback for those learners and letting them assess themselves as well as assessing their peers, right? So they can start to internalize the outcomes or skills that they're gaining throughout the duration of the course. Yeah, and I, I really, I really like um, one of the features that's in there as well about um, a graded discussion. And one of the things that I used to do to encourage that discursive element between the students was I actually used to give them, as I've already said, my outcomes of you know key vocabulary um, analysis, synthesis, evaluation, whatever it might be. But I also used to put in there something about discussion engagement, so students really, in order to to do well on the assignment, they had to comment on somebody else's um, submission. And because it was a graded assignment, it all you kind of it it siphons off an individual's contribution to a discussion that you can actually see without having to kind of wade through the whole thing. I mean you, you get a feel for the whole thing, but when you're grading it, you get an individual's contribution, which means that you can see where they have engaged and uh, I found that a really powerful thing because I do think you know we're training students up to to interact in a digital space we've all been on Twitter x we all know how it can go and I think it's important to almost model good manners and how to respond to each other and how to be sensible online because they don't I don't think we can assume they can do it and I think we do need to provide opportunities for them to do it. 
completely agree. Um, I think it'd be really interesting because when we talk about data, when we think about schools, we often look at quite a small cohort. Or whether when we say small, we think about our schools in some ways. And yes, we may compare it to our counties. We may compare it nationally as well. But I know since you have been, I think it was 2008, the beginning of Canva, what trends have you seen in data um, and what patterns have you noticed over the last few years? And has things like you alluded to earlier about attention span, that's dropping off. But are there any other trends that you've seen over time or whether in different countries or elements as well? Come. Just before you answer that question, I just want to nip in to say um, a big shout out to everyone listening. Um, thank you very much. We've got Richard, who's been here through the whole show. Uh, Khan is here as well. Derek, Primary Rock, Sam, Matthew, Laura, uh, we also have uh, Caroline, uh, Anna, and we've had lots of other, and Jason's just arrived. We've had lots of people um, sort of dropping in and out, so it's been, it's been really great. Thank you very much for listening. You're listening to Teachers Talk Radio, and don't worry, if you've missed any of this conversation, we will be publishing it as a podcast on Apple, Spotify, all the usuals, all good podcast places, um, and you can get involved uh, whenever you wish on there and listen back at a at a time more convenient to you if you can't listen live now. But I must say a big thanks to everybody for doing so. I'm going to pass back to, to our guests to answer that question now from James, if you can remember what it was. Yeah, I think it was trends, wasn't it? We were looking at trends that we yeah. see in, in, in kind of data and analytics from, from memory. Um, yeah, so the trends over time, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So... Um, we made it nearly 47 minutes before AI was mentioned, but here I am with AI bingo. So for those of you that had the AI bingo card, you can stamp it up now 48 minutes. Um, I think the augmentation of AI into data sets is going to be a, a trend that we will see more and more of, right? So I think we're going to see AI start to do light interrogation of that data. It's going to start prompting, you know, a user to perhaps dig deeper into certain trends or models or even start to you know suggest um uh, insights around some some data sets that are there so i think uh, we're only going to see that grow over time with the way that, that ai can do some of the the heavy lifting there um and i think the other piece to, to mention is and we've seen this over time already is the the kind of evolution and the adoption of more sophisticated data sets um, that, that ultimately are going to give a, a higher fidelity perspective of each student's world. So, you know, I remember when I first started in education technology, it was a data warehouse and now it's called a data lake. And I think at some points it's going to be a data lake house and maybe it will grow even larger and larger. But I think what that speaks to is there's a desire for educational institutions to pull more and more data sets and, and start to see how they intersect with one another. And, you know, I think that's that's an exciting proposition. Um, but also, you know, I think highlights some of the, the core tenets that we mentioned about, you know, really being very clear on what your objectives are and what you're trying to achieve, because it's very quickly, you know, possible to start just throwing data at everything and uh, you start to lose your way a little bit. And I had, don't worry, I had AI written down as a question in a second anyway. So I've got, <laughs> don't worry, we've got it. I've got to see how far we get through without mentioning it. Um, how do you think then, 
let's go on that AI just for a second, as, as we alluded to. How do you think then AI will help teachers in that analyzing of data, but also, and I don't think it's a hard cutoff, where do you think the human side of analyzing and looking at patterns or ideas and what you do with it comes into place as well? I think I think AI can play a critical role in accelerating the extraction and interpretation of the data, right? I think we are seeing a lot of technologies that emerge that can parse through data sets in a very quick and easy to consume manner. So you don't know you may no longer require an instructor or even administrators to learn SQL, for instance, right? They can ask a data tool or an AI tool to parse through and inject a massive Excel spreadsheet or file and ask some prompting questions of what percentage of students missed assignment X, right? And I think you can start to see these trends emerge for how AI can be a little bit more useful and aiding in the process. You take that one step further and it can start to create graphics and uh, actually create trends and trend lines for how students are performing throughout the duration of the course or whatever query that you want to give that AI tool. So I think the exciting elements of that, if we once again take it even one step further, is how do you turn that into a personalized learner journey, right? Due to a student's comprehension of a certain specific subject matter, looking at their data and analytics around their performance against a competency and an outcome, what are going to be the resources that you recommend to that student? How can you propel them and create a journey that's going to be apt for them to learn better and learn the material that is going to set them up for success in the future? Something you just, the way you phrased it then, and I think this is really important, is that how will them, and I assume like we're talking about teachers then, how will teachers personalize that path for them? Because there is a danger, and I think it's maybe more of a perception than anything else, that AI will take over and AI will just say, right, this is the path to go down, this is what you should look at. And there may be, elements of that but we also as teachers need to guide and support and have that personalization element and that personal bit as well just to let our guests know james none of us are real are we we are all <laughs> like they're actually talking to robots right now they haven't known that um obviously no. but we've never seen robots. you in person tom you're not real are you <laughs> no we're all robots they the, only the guests aren't in on the joke me and Catherine, we're all robots, and we have been running this whole space from pre-programmed files using ChatGPT. I think, no, I think what's, what's interesting about it is that it's what is the AI doing? It is prompting, well, in, in this case, no, there's lots of things you can use it for, but in this case, we're talking, I think, about kind of learning mastery pathways or, you know, if you get a certain score on a particular test or a particular quiz or a particular assignment, then it puts you um, towards a particular um, next step. So, for example, I used to set um, tasks which you needed to cert show certain competencies in. And if you got a score, let's say, for example, out of 10, if you get like a under four, 
then it will send you back towards a piece of resource that will help to um, strengthen your knowledge and it will ask you a knowledge-based question okay and if you get someone who gets between five and seven then you're sort of making a, an assumption that there's something to do with their um, ability to ex explain examples so it points them in a the direction of something where they um, analyze an example and ask them an analysis question and if they're getting a higher score then you think well actually they clearly everything is in place so they're going to be pointed towards an extension question um, which is a bit more higher level um, thinking and, and requires them to give a much more creative type answer and then you know for the ones in the lower um, sort of pathways when they complete the knowledge task or the analysis task then the computer will send them on to the next level up until everybody has been scaffolded up to the point where you, you want them to be um, so I, th I think that's what the AI is doing I'm giving the task and I'm making the judgment about what a particular student should be doing but I'm not having to log in every day and reassign things for individuals and go oh they Joe and Joe Blog's got a four or I better give him the, the knowledge task the system does it and I think that's the beauty of it because it's I'm I'm the brains behind the operation in this assignment but I'm using a I'm using the technology to to direct the right student to the right task that will benefit them the most um so I, I think that it doesn't it doesn't take over but I think you you plan it in that kind of functional way um I don't know what what you guys um at Instructure think about that approach yeah I mean I think our perspective is that AI is an addition to other human and specialized skills right it's not necessarily a substitution it's providing an additional layer that can extend the value of the educator in different ways right i think what catherine was kind of illustrating is there are a lot of administrative and back of the house things that an educator or a teacher must do in their day-to-day -day lives the addition of something like generative ai can help make those things more efficient and decrease some of that administrative burden for the educator and enable them to personalize and spend time doing what they're best at doing, providing teaching and learning in more meaningful ways, connecting with their learners in more meaningful ways, providing personalized feedback that's going to result in more directed outcomes in more meaningful ways, right? So I think there's often this desire to run away from the embrace of these new technologies when the reality is that they're, they're viewed to be additive mechanisms to lighten the load on the day-to-day -day lives of, of educators and, and learners. And that's kind of the way that we've been driving some of our advancements as we develop new AI technology. It's all rooted around how can we really help the lives of educators from an efficiency perspective, from an efficacy perspective, and how will that result in improving and enhancing student success? No, thank you. That's a really, really, uh, I mean, it is about the efficiency, isn't it, for me? Um, and just, you know, that kind of leads into a discussion about performativity, because one of the issues that I encountered with schools, you know, the amount of times a teacher has said to me, you know, OK, so I set it up and they, they fill in the document and they fill in the quiz. And, and then what? Do you, do you print it out and glue it in their book? No, no. 
please stop printing it out and gluing it in their book. Um, and I think that that's some, one of the things that um, teachers, and I can't speak for globally, but certainly because of our culture and education in, in England, teachers get terribly worried that there won't be an audit trail and that some inspector is going to come along and say this book hasn't been marked, when actually there is um, a wealth of marking and really very high quality feedback available online. Um, I'm, I'm not sure what my question is, but in terms of, you know, how do you see the synergy of technology into schools where they, they have that latent performative culture? Yeah, I think it revolves around how are you able to provide and clearly demonstrate the outcomes that's, that students and schools are really anticipating, right? If we look and analyze what performativity means, it's broadening outside of some of those procedural policies that exist, right? And actually enabling a system that is entrenched in the pedagogy that the school ultimately embraces that can then result in student outcomes at the end of the day. I think there is there is too much of this tie up as you kind of allude to, Catherine, around some of the concerns from regulatory bodies that, that come in. That's not to say that there shouldn't be an audit trail because there, there certainly should. Um, and that's kind of the use of technology that can help implement that. But it's then how do you extend beyond some of those those red tape issues and extend the value of the educator to enable that perform performativity in the future. Yeah, I think it's it's the nervousness around it, isn't it? And I think, I mean, I I would love to see a, a higher level of, of um, digital literacy amongst teachers. And my my own research interests are to do with teacher CPD and how to ensure that is effective and and um, pushing people in the direction that they need to go in in order to improve their practice in a modern world. Um, so yeah, it's 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 an interesting one and one I think that is going to continue to be. Um, something that we we need to revisit and and upskill people and train people on um, in the in the coming years to really make the most of of this platform and and other you know digital learning devices and and opportunities. Yeah, and I completely agree with this element that we've been talking about how ai and how technology can really it does it does connect us with our learners i think there was a lot of preconceived misconceptions um, instead of that so i think it's going to be important to make sure that is an element that we go forward and i know catherine you just talked about the digital literacy of teachers and i think with tools like canvas um, and the videos and the, what, even the resources you've created, it gets the idea that teachers need to see this in action. Once they see this in action, they can then come away from, I've got to stick this in the book because someone needs to see it. And I think sometimes disrupting education or giving them something new is scary. But once they understand the why behind it, and we've talked very much about the why of data tonight, making sure it's meaningful, making sure it's impactful. I think that's the first step that we need to do within that. Um, and so my question then would be, how would you start to integrate a tool like Canvas 
within um, schools and platforms and what would your suggestions be? Yeah, I think um, one of the, the key things that, that we like to, to try and engage in with, with schools that are, are looking to adopt Canvas is we really try and engage with those those groups or those uh, educators that tend to be the ones to stick their hands up and embrace new approaches and embrace new technology. And, and we really spend a lot of time with those individuals to get a lay of the land in terms of how the school operates, what are the, the measures through which you know, success is going to be deemed. Um, and we start to, to build what we would call a, a group of champions internally. I think, you know, one of the, the biggest things that we're very clear on is the idea of, of change management and, and how we make, uh, you know, educators and any stakeholder group in a school feel comfortable with uh, the notion of change. We, we as human beings don't like change. And so it's important that before we even get to the technology piece is that we, we address some of the you know the emotions that are going to come about when people think about change so that's that's probably the first thing is we we spend a lot of time with those champions and we try to create some really positive experiences and, and what we often see is it creates that kind of approach of where other individuals in the school will start to look over the fence and uh, and see some of the the outcomes that are being generated with this new technology and you create a magnetic effect of people wanting to embrace the change as opposed to feeling like it's forced upon them so for us it's a about identifying that that really small key group that we can iterate and spend a lot of time on and, and build a successful model with the school um, and then from there start to think about how we scale that messaging out across the the rest of the of the body I think the other thing just to mention is you know involving students in that process right engaging them in discussions around how and why you're going to be using uh, this platform what the benefits are that you're you're hoping to achieve and you know ideally if they can be part of the the reason why you have made this change kind of showing that to them will I guess embed an, an amount of trust with your student body which I think can be be really invaluable I know we've still got a few great questions left but just before we move on to those um, I have tried and tested this myself at instructor.com forward slash try dash canvas. Um, you can set up, and you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong here. This is what I did. I set up a free account. Um, I got the, the demo where it says get That's a it. demo. And then with that demo, I've been able to create some assignments, some quizzes, um, video conferences. Um, I've done a bit of um, integrating with some third-party applications that I use. Um, I haven't, I've only been in there for an hour or so, but it seems really seamless, really nice. Um, it's not it be, it's not something I've come across before this, so it was really nice for me to sort of explore that. So, yeah, if anyone else is interested, um, I just went to instructor.com forward slash try canvas. I'm sure we'll say that at the end anyway but i thought it would be a good point for me to to come in and say that yeah i think you know one of the things that i i think instructor is is built upon is that nature of, of transparency we're transparent in a lot of ways we have a code base which is open source we have a product roadmap which is completely open our community is very vocal and you know tells us where they want that product to go and we're very open in the ways that we are making progress against that and what we refer to as as free for teacher uh, which is very intentionally named is a, another example of that that transparency and that open 
openness, right? We want people to feel very comfortable and not have the burdens of, of cost prevent them from trying this out. And so absolutely, for those who are interested in, in seeing how that can be utilized, uh, there are hundreds of stories, if not thousands globally, of, of individuals or educators that are using that completely free uh, account in order to, to deliver their teaching and learning. So uh, that's a great call out. Thank you, Tom. Oh, it's brilliant. I, I, as I said, I didn't know about the 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 Canvas free for teacher accounts um, before sort of putting together this show with you guys. So that was that was great. So yeah, those are my little two pennies. And and the other thing as well, which hasn't been mentioned yet, is the the Commons feature, which is so helpful um, because one of the things that obviously teachers are very time poor, and you know you might. Um, be a history teacher or you might be you know pre or whatever it is or a physics teacher and you, you think i'm going to make myself a quiz but if you go in the commons there's all kinds of other resources that other teachers have already created and you can go in and you can have a look around you can search on key terms and you can find things that um, have been cremated um created in the community and uh, that that's so helpful because often you can find things that you know you might not take it wholesale but you might um, adapt it for your own context um and so i think that that community element of the platform is really powerful um as well so i just wanted to mention that it's not really a question but uh, it's yeah. a really good feature and uh, i think it's it's one that teachers can go okay so i might actually find resources that exist rather than have to create everything from scratch. Yeah, thank you, Catherine. I think that's, again, goes back to that nature of, of transparency, right? I think, you know, commons. So for those who aren't as familiar uh, as maybe Catherine or Tom, um, what we refer to as Canvas Commons is, I think the official term would be a learning object repository. So think of it as a library of content, whether that's learning content, quizzes, assignments, videos, whatever the, the, the content or tools are that you use to deliver teaching and learning. Um, we put that in a completely open and shared library that any institution that's using our platform can connect into and then use that as a scaffold or a starting point from which to to architect or, or, or build their own experiences and there's a, a tremendous a different a trend, a tremendous amount of different ways that that's utilized we have completely open uh, commons environments where people just open it to the the big world wide web and, and let anyone dive in from anywhere we even have uh, those commons environments where just in a school setting perhaps we just want to share or make available our content to other people in the school and nowhere else it just provides a really nice mechanism to to kind of share some of that information so i again thank you for that for the call out catherine it's a, a really really popular part of the uh, of the platform no oh, you're welcome and, and another thing of course is that you do collaborate with a lot of other companies as well so there's you have your app it's not an where you have the, the apps that you can kind of um, have plugins and things like that. Um, so, you know, it really is a, a diverse platform with all kinds of things that teachers can, can use. Um, and I, I don't want to take away sort of the, the, the next question um, that was going to be asked, but where next? What does the future hold? Yeah, I think... We are very clear in terms of the way that we view the world, right? Um, recognizing that it is evolving very rapidly um, and recognizing that the technologies that are available to us 
provide a lot of room for innovation. Um, but we want to hear directly from the people that comprise our community and the people that are going to be utilizing the product at the end of the day, right? I spoke to our product discovery process earlier in terms of identifying the data and reporting that we actually want to capture. Um, as Daniel alluded to, we have this open community that teachers are, are open to join where they can voice their concerns and where they can say, hey, we want to see these innovations happen inside of the product. And we're highly committed to acting upon the feedback from that community to really influence and aid our product development process, right? And, uh, you know, earlier this month, we actually hit the threshold where there are over 2 million people that are active inside of the Canvas community, which is fantastic ranging from educators and teachers and, and students to the like of them. And we really do encourage and invite teachers to join that community because it helps us have more of a pulse on the way that education is ultimately evolving. But if we're, if we're going to chunk this into maybe the next 12 or 18 months, it's critical to understand yeah, we will be investing into things like artificial intelligence and implementing them into our technology and helping teachers on those two points that we spoke about earlier, right? Um, improving efficiency and improving efficacy, as well as diving into student success. But if we look at a macro trend, it's identifying how the macroeconomic environment is evolving and how it is necessary for institutions to dive deeper into things like competency-based education and ensure that learners and students alike are gaining the skills and competencies that are necessary in order to enter the workforce, right? I think we're all astutely aware that are on this uh, call or a podcast today that the jobs of today are not the jobs of three years from now, right? And I know that sounds like a scary timeline, but we're viewing a rapid evolution of technology to ensure that some of these things are able to be utilized in more comprehensive and productive ways, right? So how do you aid and abet your workflow processes with the utilization of things like generative AI? How are you able to pass on those skills like collaboration and problem solving and critical thinking that take you outside of the context of the evolution of technology, right? Skills that will always be employable or things that we talk as being soft skills. So we're seeing more and more institutions embrace things like micro-credentials and inserting those inside of the classroom in terms of the competencies that you gain over time. So, you know, I could, I could ta talk ad nauseum about the trends that we're seeing in industry, but I would say the two biggest things that excite me personally are how are we going to evolve as a society to bite-size education and enable more competency-based education through the likes of micro-credentials, as well as how are we going to make artificial intelligence more useful for the teachers and learners of the future? That's that's really interesting, and I just I just don't, I don't think we can uh, we can leave it without mentioning CanvasCon, um, which I was very happy to and lucky enough to uh, speak at in 2018, which was an amazing experience. But you know you have a huge community, as you say, and there's a, a lot of opportunities I think for sort of research and 
analysis of the big data that you're generating. And I just wonder, um, you know, when when people might choose to go to CanvasCon or get involved in research, what's what role what role do you see Canvas playing in sort of the body of generating the body of research that that will kind of support the way things are going in the future? Yeah, maybe I can uh, touch on that. I think, you know, certainly we we like to think of ourselves as as more a partner to the the institutions that we work with versus just that technology provider. And I think mm. that speaks to what you're you're talking about there, Catherine. Is you know one of the benefits that we have of our our scale is that we are able to observe at a macro level some of the the trends that are going on globally, um, and we believe it's our responsibility to prepare those you know those schools those institutions that are working with us and to prepare them for the future right to prepare them for you know the the transformational state that education we believe will be in in, in 5 to 10 years and so the activities that that we undertake is you know we under, uh, undertake a, a huge amount of research globally and locally um we recently announced uh, or launched as i say our, our 2023 uh, state of uh, higher education uh, research we also uh, launched some research early in the year uh, around 100 student voices uh, for our Irish community um, and speaking to, to some of the, you know, the, the regional uh, themes or the regional insights that that student body are, are, are sharing um, so that all educational institutions can, can benefit and, and hope to prepare from those. Um, I think it also harkens back to the, the relationship with that we have with our community. As I say, we had our, our own Canvas Connect event uh, in Liverpool uh, last week where we had, you know, upwards of uh, 170 different institutions make their way up for a, a day full of professional development and learning outside of the technology and more around pedagogy and so you know for us that's what's being a, a great partner we don't want to just talk to you about the the learning management or uh, system or virtual learning environment that you're using we want to talk to you about you know how you can ensure you are in a position to, to thrive uh, in the future of education Thank you. I think before everyone goes off and goes to instructor.com forward slash try hyphen canvas themselves and have a look at this. I know there's a whole wealth of videos and support you've got on your website um, in terms of that as well. I just kind of want to do a little bit of a sum up and then I want both of you to think about any words of wisdom you want to leave our audience with because tonight we've talked a whole host we've talked about data making sure it's purposeful making sure it's actionable making sure we identify those trends even whether their behavior and actually look at their mental health aspect and give them a nudge into those bits there are large sums of data but also we can really personalize that and make sure the teachers are in control and they can support that and i think it'd be really interesting how Canvas and Instructor work to with this idea of purposeful AI and involving those competencies for the future and what bite-sized education could look. And I think your uh, blurb on your website, which says deliver dynamic learning experiences to every student everywhere and taking teacher and learning to the next level really does sum up the conversation we've had tonight. And I've really enjoyed listening to both of you, Daniel and Sid, talk about Canvas. But so before we go, uh, Daniel, do you want to start? 
what's that one thing you want teachers to take away um, from this conversation or something you want them to think about in the future? Well, I think um, firstly, thank you, uh, James, Tom, Catherine, everyone involved with the with the session. Before I leave, it would be remiss of me not to say this is um, these are uh, fantastic discussions, and you know, always, you know, go away from discussions like this feeling so empowered and, and proud of the the community of educators that exists here in the UK, across Europe, and and globally. So, thank you for for organising this and encouraging uh, Sid and I to to attend. It's it's a great honour. Um, you know, I think from from my perspective, I think, you know, we've we've touched on AI a little bit. And, you know, certainly as part of the conversations I have with a lot of educators, and I think you mentioned this, James, there's a, a degree of nervousness about, you know, how is AI going to supplement or in some way replace uh, an educator's role? I would, you know, I'd give educators a tremendous amount of confidence and say that ultimately, you know, remind yourself of what being a good human is, because AI is never going to be able to replicate that. And I think back to some of the great interactions that I've had with with teachers and educators over my lifetime. Um, it wasn't because they analyzed me really well or provided, you know, a great moment of, hey, if I'd have learned this in this way. It was a human moment that I had with that educator um, that ultimately gave me the confidence to, to grow as an individual and, you know, perhaps take on a challenge or, you know, acquire a, a different piece of knowledge. And I think that's actually a really exciting part of AI is it actually increases the value of what makes us humans. And so I'd encourage every educator globally to not worry about, you know, what AI can do and instead in fact, be more proud of what it is that humans can do and, and technology can't. So maybe a, a bit big and a big macro, but uh, hopefully uh, hopefully that's valuable. You know, in, in a similar vein and maybe running a little in the opposite direction even, uh, I think it's necessary to recognize that it can be very scary to embrace technology and technology can be very unsettling at times for a myriad of the reasons that we've discussed today. However, with embracing it, there can be a lot of innovation that happens on a day-to-day -day basis, right? I, we run away from technology. We, we were able to embrace things like the calculator in the 1970s and the internet in the 1980s and recognize that those were not things that were going to be inserted into the classroom immediately. And we fought those for a number of decades until today where we can't imagine our worlds without them, right? I think similarly, when we look at disruptive technologies like AI, they can be scary, but if we're able to embrace them and understand their practical use um, in the day to day, I think that can be of tremendous benefit to to educators, right? And if we're able to unpack that and view how we can utilize those skills to really empower learners to be successful, and when we think about the outcomes for how educators and education is ultimately constructed, is to benefit society in a greater value. I think that's where we can really start to see some innovative change, right? I think the benefits of what these technologies can do to remove the administrative uh, administrative barriers to embrace innovation in things like climate technology or green technology or health technology are where things get really exciting for a future uh, where we can unpack that. Thanks so much. Um Wow, it's been an amazing conversation tonight um, about data. Um, if thank you very much 
to everybody who's listened in live. Um, if you've clicked play on the, on the listen back and you've got this far, we appreciate you. Thank you very much. And we hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. Um, we've had a few laughs along the way. It's It's been great. Um, it, on a serious note, um, if you would be interested in sort of finding out more about what we've been discussing here, not just in terms of data in schools in general, but in terms of Canvas um, by Instructure, then you can visit Instructure.com uh, forward slash try Canvas or just start at Instructure.com. You can grab a free teacher account or what's called a free for teacher account. Uh, you can sign up there. It takes literally about 20 seconds um, to sign up and get yourself a free demo, which you can then try out all the tools um, that Canvas provides. Um, this has been Teachers Talk Radio. This is going to be available as a podcast to download as well. Um, just want to give a massive shout out to all our listeners live. Um, but especially our guests. Have you enjoyed your time this evening on TTR? We hope we hope so. Absolutely. This was amazing. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. And Catherine, Brilliant. thank you. Stay on at the end, like I said. We're going to try and have a chat with you. <laughs> how wonderful oh, <laughs> Catherine. Catherine oh, well. has achieved her objective of another job before the, before the show had ended. Can I wonderful. just say... I just loved Canvas so much. And when I was looking after it, I'm with a slightly different organisation now, but when I was looking after it, I felt like Mr Scott on the Starship Enterprise. I could just tickle it and get it to do what I wanted. And it was wonderful. So thank you. Yeah. Okay, Catherine, stop talking about tickling <laughs> things. Um, <laughs> massive thanks, Sid and Daniel. Um, it's been wonderful. Thank you very much. Everybody else, have a great evening. Thanks to Lucy who's been in the background administrating this entire time. Thank you, Lucy. And um, we will be back in five minutes' time. I was going to say, Wilson. do you want to do a quick plug for the next? Yes, <laughs> in five minutes' time, we are live once again with the amazing Hannah Wilson talking about innovations in financial education. So make sure in five and a half minutes' time, you click the listen, little Listen Live link and you can listen to our next show live on Teachers Talk Radio. Thanks very much, everybody, and good night. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.